prosecution outlined how accounting practices fuck? did not What kind of likeness is that? They were great artists still being a museum. And fucking fodder for cartoonists now. Alrighty, and welcome to another main feed episode of Gutter Boys. Gutter Boys is a small press comics podcast about the uh, highs, the lows, and the ins and the outs of making comics. Close enough. I am your host, Cam, uh, here with my co-host, JB. Fresh with my old computer out of the shop. I'm not on this episode, but Erwin Papa is here, and uh, JB had a uh, pretty lengthy chat with him, so we're going to kind of keep it brief on the intro here. Anything you want to say about Erwin real quick? He's Filipino like you. Oh, okay, cool. My brother. I'm actually racist against my own kind. That's why I didn't do this episode. It was not my computer being in the shop and breaking. I've been whitewashed by America. Yeah. And you just tossed um, your computer out of the window. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I saw that he was Filipino and I was like, I, nope. No. Nope. That's why Michael it. DeForge hasn't been on this show because he's Filipino. Is he? Yeah. Same oh, with a uh, friend that. of the show, Andrew Lorenzi. Uh, okay. He's never been on because he's Filipino. True. And uh, I just hate my own kind, you know? No, no, but uh, I would like to have them on the show. But uh, yeah, sucks that uh, I wasn't able to be here. Maybe Erwin will come back. I will be looking forward to listening to this one because I don't really know much about dudes. So I didn't even know his uh, heritage. So yeah, Uh, he'll definitely be back for a bonus episode. We talk about that. He's the only dudes. uh, He's the only dude whose story looks like yours. Uh, <laughs> as far as like being 28 oh uh, you mean lines, the instagram story instagram story okay, and it's all okay. shit post gotcha yeah you and him are like uh competing for meme space on yeah. the gram right now but um yeah i guess before we get into that though there is a pretty major uh new story we should cover and i've made a vow to myself listeners to actually try this year on this show when it comes to news and instead of just reading bleeding cool for the first time on the show and on the air I'm actually going to read it and do my work an hour before we record from now on. So um, for those of you guys not in the know, uh, Comixology has been, I guess, like what, the fucking premier destination and hub for online comics. I mean, the companies have their own, like Marvel Unlimited or whatever, but everybody's on Comixology and has been, I guess, for the last like decade plus, I would say, right? Like, would you say that's how long their presence has been around that you've been aware of it? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, they were founded in uh, 2007. I looked up and uh, checked this out. Money laundering. They uh, won a business plan competition at NYU, the three founders, while they were students. And they got investors from uh, some tech venture companies and a company called the New York Angels, which is an angel investor group. Uh, I bet you that every single member of that showed up on the flight logs, but I digress. Parody, parody. Anyways, though, they were sold to Amazon in 2014 for an undisclosed amount of money. Uh, cowards. And apparently Amazon kind of just swooped in. But I don't know if you remember this. Um, I don't actually. Do you remember Jet City Comics? No. Okay, so Amazon tried in 2014 to start Jet City Comics up, which was a digital comics platform. And the only real big names that I saw that they signed for exclusive titles was George R.R. R. Martin. But all they did was just like adapt one of his novels that didn't go into production. Okay. And then uh, I saw Alex DeCampi's name in there. Uh, however, this like failed. They didn't do shit. They failed so bad that there was no blue name. Uh, there's no blue like link on Wikipedia for Jet City Comics. So okay. 
Damn. If you if you're owned by Amazon and you uh, try to make a splash in the comics market with the resources you have and you can't even get a fucking blue link on Wiki, that shit was down bad, man. Either that or it was like clearly the intention to just pump and dump. Yeah. Well, and you look at the uh, the time frame here, 2014. This is when like MCU was like fucking ripping and roaring, you know, oh, so yeah. they were just like, oh, everybody's going to read comics. And I'm going to get back to that, though. But um, around 2014, Amazon, uh, you know, decided Jet City, you know, wasn't you know going to be a viable option for them. So they just bought Comixology and um, a lot of the sentiment online. I never used it. Did you ever use it? No. OK. Yeah, same here. Uh, You know, we've been very against digital comics on this fucking show throughout the history of it. But apparently it was a really good service and Amazon came in and a lot of the sentiment I was seeing on Twitter was that they just gutted it and they kind of fixed what wasn't broken. Like they just made it worse. They still do offer every single like, you know, mainstream publisher, but uh, they have recently laid off all of their staff and their plan is just to kind of fold Comixology into their Kindle marketplace And apparently by doing so, this has made the app like really fucking terrible because it used to offer like high res comics and now you can't even get high res for all the titles. And apparently if you purchased the titles through Comixology back in the day and got the HD files, Amazon didn't back those up. So they don't have HD files of everything that you, the customer, have purchased, which is pretty fucked. You know, like if you've got to get like a low res pixelated digital comic that you've paid for because Amazon failed to do the due diligence and back all that shit up. I mean, I... I don't want to say I told you so. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the uh the track record for buying digital products from companies is not great. No, no, not at so, all. So, I I guess I just don't understand why you would pay real life money for a thing that you don't even own anymore, right? It's owned technically by that company still. A corporation that doesn't really give a shit about you or the products that you're purchasing. They just care about whether or not quarterly returns are going to be beneficial for them. So why wouldn't you just buy the physical product and then actually own it? Exactly. And I don't know what kind of deal the main publishers have, but I did look up a Comixology deal for like an independent creator that submits work to be hosted on the platform. And this is before all this happened. But apparently there was a 30% fee that went to like the digital retailer. And then there pretty much it boiled down to the creator and the publisher got 35% of the sale. Right. So, I mean, just using the platform, you know, physical copies, I understand the digital convenience, but physical physical copies, surely you're making more than that. I mean, I know the store is going to take their cut, but, you know, there's no way this is really a good deal. I mean, I guess it's low effort because there's no production cost past, you know, your art and writer, but... I don't know, man. But like you said, you know, I hate to say I told you so. And I kind of want to question Didn't this Amazon. Didn't with uh, Apple, with their Apple Music Store? Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised, though. I mean... I can't find the news story. Shit. It was about, basically, by accepting their terms of uh, terms of services, mm-hmm. they... Oh, was it where they could, like, take away your downloads? Like, the stuff you paid for? Yeah. Yeah, I do recall hearing something about this. Like, you didn't actually own it if they decided, like, if they lost the license to that content or whatever. Or if it's something you had purchased previously and burned it onto your computer, then uh, they would remove it, basically. 
Oh, yeah, they're like deleting the file, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's so fucked. And here's the thing. It's like, why would Amazon buy Comixology? Like, I mean, it was all the timing. It was the superhero craze. But I mean, like, and this is all like, I looked up some numbers as far as like the health of the industry. And I think comics just needs to be real with itself. And also the companies investing in this shit need to be real with themselves because it is a huge industry. Uh, Apparently some figures for 2021, it was a $2 billion industry. However, here's the thing. 1.47 billion of that was because of children's comics and manga. And Comixology did have manga on it, I looked up. However, like, Viz has, like, an app that's, like, $2.99 a month. And you get the entire fucking, like, library of all those countless volumes of manga. So it's like, you're kind of barking up the wrong tree buying Comixology in the first place, which was primarily a place for, like, big two-stuff image and creator-owned stuff that, you know, happened to make its way to the platform. Yeah, I don't think the people on Amazon's board of executives are like, you know what, I really enjoy comics. Right. (laughs) And I would like to push the medium into the 21st century, so uh, let's invest in comicsology. I don't think that's the conversation that took place. Well, exactly, but that's what I'm saying. So, like, you would think their data analysis would see that comicsology was not actually what was probably was not really selling what was selling. Yeah. It's, it's all the kids graphic novels and it's all the fucking manga, which Viz has had on lock for years via digital platform and people it was buy likely, the little volumes. They you know? probably just wanted to have a foothold in the marketplace, even if it wasn't that strong. Yeah. Because and I mean, Amazon, after their shit failed, they had egg on their face too, you know, but it doesn't matter. Here's the thing. It does not matter if it failed or not. Yeah. For a company like Amazon, that loss is nothing. And in fact, they will get that back next tax season anyway which is crazy because that kind of i guess we kind of in our little history lesson there uh i lost sight of the plot which was that comiXology has pretty much fired their entire staff and amazon is citing that it's due to recovery from the pandemic economic stress which is fucking insane considering like amazon was like the only place a lot of people could go during the pandemic to get food and like household essentials because we couldn't leave the house and they were the only people fucking delivering and staying open they were yeah well the thing is is, like companies like amazon were seeing like record high profits during covid They're closing this division and saying it's to recover. (laughs) And simultaneously getting money from the federal government, getting subsidies. Yes. Getting our tax dollars that did not go towards COVID relief. And also just operating, like getting all these tax breaks to open up in these individual cities, just decimating communities and making Amazon towns. Like, (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's the mob. It's it's literally just Just the mafia. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on a grand scale yeah but no, it's fucking wild yeah so i mean you know it really does you know our condolences to anyone that lost their job in comicsology. if you want to see some there was a lot of like uh recollections and you know little i don't want to say rants but little you know threads about comicsology from people that work there on the inside uh, we're running a little long so you know we're not going to read any of those but pretty much they said it was a great place to work with like the pe- the team they had in place um, a lot of people were saying hey you know it was the team that kept us around but it was really unexpected and you know our hearts out or my heart out to anyone that loses their job i don't know how sure. you're you're feeling now uh- <laughs> no yeah no, I mean, uh, we know plenty of people. I know plenty of people who work at Amazon warehouses. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they work very hard to make very little. And uh, that's not because they were like, you know what? I would love to work for a greedy, soulless corporation run by an actual ghoul. Uh, I don't think that's the the mindset that they had going in. 
I think no. it's uh, the marketplace for jobs is getting uh, uh, smaller and smaller, and uh, the uh, demand for people with college degrees is is going down. Basically, like if you really want to make a certain amount of income. Uh, I think it's assumed now that a BA or a BFA isn't going to cut it, really. Right. Yeah, it doesn't even <sighs> fucking matter. Yeah, no. Jerk and off it, hand motion. Yeah, and same goes to agree uh, to to a certain extent, uh, a master's degree too. That doesn't do shit really <laughs> for yeah. a lot of people. I know plenty of people that work in food service uh, who have doctorates, and uh, it's not because uh, they didn't want to follow through with their career plan. It's just there was nothing there for them. Either that or it's insultingly low wages to where you can literally make more as a bartender. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know? uh, yeah, I mean, we're just, I I know we harp on this a lot, or at least I harp on this a lot, but the current trajectory for this country is, like, what I don't understand is how everybody was on, like, red alert when Trump was president. You know, like in 2016, everybody thought that it was going to be the end of the United States as we know it right mm -hmm. like that was it was man <laughs> but you know what i mean though that that was the 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 fear-mongering that was fed to you yeah by uh center left quote-unquote uh media outlets and now that we're here in 2023 under a uh you know a dnc-led congress with a, a dnc president like biden and mm -hmm. we're far worse than we ever were in 2016 and uh, as easy as it is to put that blame on covid i don't think that's the case i think covid was the perfect excuse to ratchet up this sort of spiraling downhill trajectory that we're on right now and i don't see it getting any better anytime soon no nah, man we're gonna be fighting the water wars well not us but you know it's all over I don't I, see it getting any better either. Like it's, yeah, I mean, because put it this way, like, like you said, like it just seems like just more of these giant corporations are going to continue consolidating. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, and I mean, it, Amazon has clear fucking intent to build literal Amazon towns, like right. around their warehouses. Like it's going to just become like this crazy fucking. It's going to become Josh Pettinger's comic Victory Squad <laughs> for real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the wage gap is is so, growing every day. Cost for food, cost for living. All of that shit is going up. Wages staying the same going Wages down. are stagnating, right? Uh, they are far below what they should be. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, just nothing's going to change. <laughs> yeah. Nothing really is going to change. It's just going to continue down this really awful, awful uh, road that we're on. And we'll be talking about it here in five years. We, we will be talking about it. Uh, we will be talking about it from our uh, desert bunkers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in between fighting off uh, mutant hordes and uh, searching for gasoline. So please keep uh, subscribing to our Patreon so we can keep building our bunkers. Yeah, so we can we got we got to save up our bottle caps so mm -hmm. we can we can upgrade our um, plasma rifles and shit. Our, yeah, our pipe melee weapons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't I don't like to be the doom and gloom type when it comes mm -hmm. to like socioeconomic things and just like the future of the world by and large, but things are just not looking good. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to there's no real way to to spin this in any sort of positive yeah. way. I think, you know, well, it's, hey, 
We will continue to make comics through it all. There's the positive. We're gonna we're gonna be slinging ink through it all, baby. Do you think that um, one of the the charred corpses that they found that are still there at uh, the at Pompeii, uh, there's like a guy hunched over in his desk and he was like drawing comics. Yeah, but it was definitely like sex comics. Like he was just drawing some titties. No, because if he was doing that, he would have just been that guy that was on the floor jacking off. No, he was drawing material for the guy jacking off that died. Oh, so he was next to that guy. <laughs> well, you know, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how print circulation was. They say it was really advanced back then. But um, <laughs> yeah, he, he was just drawing the pictures and making flip books for the guy. Oh, true. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's what we need to do. We do need to just lean into smut comics then. Yeah. Speaking of smut comics, uh, that episode with Bam McRae will be on our Patreon this week with this main feed. It was a little late. Um, actually, our editor's fault. He uh, took ownership in the comments after I said it was our fault in the post. So, oh, wow. Yeah, Jerry. Jerry, Jerry thanks for jumping on the grenade. Yeah, you, should, you, had, you had an out there, but you jumped on it nonetheless. I would have just so. kept my damn mouth shut. Yeah, I would have been like, yeah, you guys fucked this up. It is on you. But um, yeah, just go in on us. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so gutterboys.top or patreon.com forward slash gutterboys. Uh, next bonus episode will be with Josh Pettinger. We're going to talk to him about his uh, life post moving to the East Coast. So uh, if that sounds like it'll interest you or you feel like helping us build our bunkers, please throw us some money, uh, various tiers. And also, um, I literally am putting the final touches on the zine and some content that will be in the mailbox to our physical tier patrons. Thank you all so much for hanging in there. Uh, that will be to you all by the first end of the first week in February is my goal for that uh yeah so uh the interview i had with erwin it, it goes pretty long it's about an hour and 20 hour and 30 uh it's all good all killer no filler but uh it, it does go pretty long so we're gonna go ahead and uh go right into our interview but uh before we can do that obviously we gotta pay the bills so uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll be joined with Erwin Papa, Sans Cam. Sorry, guys. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Meow. Meow. Sid the Cat magazine is out now. If you've ever been to an amazing rock and roll show and thought, I wish I could experience this moment again, but in comic form, then Sid the Cat magazine is for you. Fiercely independent show promoter Sid the Cat have joined forces with comics journalist Andrew Greenstone to bring you an ongoing publication that documents the SoCal indie rock scene. This stunning 52-page full-color magazine features comics, articles, photos, and illustrations from a rotating cast of local illustrators and writers. It's a celebration of Sid's artists and venues and supports those keeping the bleeding edge of the indie music scene alive. Our first issue covers musical artists Big Thief, Illuminati Hotties, Mike Kroll, Fucked Up, Finn Lilly, Katie Kirby, Kate LeBon, Cursive, Christian Lee Hudson, No Win, and so many more. If you are a fan of comics, indie music, zines, rock reports, or community by the way of culture, order a copy now at SidTheCat.com forward slash Sid dash zine. Again, that's SidTheCat.com forward slash Sid dash zine. What do a pair of deadly assassins, a beefy pile of roided-up high school football players, a zombie outbreak, cute dragons, and a himbo barbarian have in common? You can find them all in the upcoming pages of the Santos Sisters. 
That's right. Ambar and Alana are back for more gripping adventures. Once again, Offset Press printed in full color on your favorite decadent newsprint. Prestigious publication. The Comics Journal. Love the first issue. Calling it a highly entertaining comic. And Katie and Sally from the Thick Lines podcast called it a masterpiece. And more than they deserve. And who are we to disagree? The Santos Sisters. He's available now. Don't miss out. Ask your favorite comic book retailer to add it to your pull list today or find it online at santosisters.com. Rust Belt Review is a quarterly comics lit magazine featuring serialized and short form comics from some of the most exciting cartoonists in the small press scene today. Volume 1 features work from Gutter alums, M.S. Harkness, Audra Stang, and Caleb Arecchio, along with work by Andrew Greenstone, Sean Knickerbocker, and Juan Jose Fernandez. You can order your copy of Rust Belt Review today by going to rustbeltreview.org. Enter in promo code GUTTER to receive two bucks off your order. Again, that website is rustbeltreview.org. Promo code GUTTER. Athenium Comic Art is an original art website for some of the best cartoonists in the business. They currently represent Remy Boydell, Marie Capel France, Nicole Gu, Jonathan Hill, Emma Hunsinger, Casey Nowak, Micah Song, and Tilly Walden. Athenium Comic Art gives fans the opportunity to own original piece of art from their favorite comics and support the artists that they love. In their short time in business, they've already shipped many iconic pages out to hardcore fans across the globe. Don't miss out on your chance to own a one-of-a-kind piece of history. Check out their website, AtheniumComicArt.com, and type in Gutter Gang at checkout to receive free shipping on your first order. Again, the website is AtheniumComicArt.com, and the code is GutterGang. loves underground comics everybody loves underground comics and if you know people who don't love underground comics and only read the mainstream comics immediately report them to your local comic book store and find them with copies of clusterfucks comics clusterfucks comics is a black and white underground anthology comic scene featuring some of the best underground comics creators today creators like cameron zavala eric jasek brian judge miguel aguilar adam yeter jason cavelli umberto tonella anna peterson tony de pasquale Drewby Hall, and so many more. Issues 1 through 4 are available now, with the fifth issue debuting in early 2023. Purchase your copies today at clusterfuckscomics.bigcartel.com. And that's comics with an X. Clusterfucks Comics. Comics you can clusterfucks with. Morning, Gary. Morning, Marianne. Need a menu? Nah, I'll just have the usual. You sure do love your eggs and coffee, Gary. Best way to start your morning, Marianne. Well, that and an issue of Town and County. What's that? Town and County is a new comic series written and drawn by cartoonist Alex Nall. He's that guy that wrote them books about teaching and that Mr. Rogers feller. Oh, he was such a nice man. The first issue is 36 pages of black and white comic stories with beautiful color covers and features six stories about folks in our little township here in Illinois, like Susie Barber, the house cleaner that uncovers her client's dirty laundry, if you know what I mean, and Stanley Pepper, that big feller that just lost his job and took to drinking every night at Bugs's Tavern. Well, ain't that something? Town & County is published by Ivy Terrace Press, headquartered in Chicago. Chicago? Who would want to live there? So dirty. 
Each issue comes with a copy of The Hometown Hero, our little town's newsletter, and it's only $8. $8? Where can I get it, Gary? You can order a copy of Town & County on the internet at storeenvy slash alexnallcomics. Oh, there's your breakfast, Gary. Thanks, Marianne. Ah, nothing like a cup of coffee and a good comic book. The Last Aviatrix is a post-nuclear adventure comic by independent Los Angeles-based cartoonist Buster Cagle. The story follows Summer, our last aviatrix, who pilots the sole surviving airplane, a nuclear-powered B-29, as she travels the ruined world finding ways to survive and help humanity while dealing with the eminent threat of the Atomborn, a rare breed of atomic wizards that want to see her out of the sky. Her mission becomes complicated when she accidentally picks up Henry, an Atomborn child who wields incredible power, and Clementine, a berserker on a quest for vengeance. Can our aviatrix survive this ruined and irradiated waste Land? Every issue can be read for free on BusterKegel.com slash comics. Paper copies can be ordered as well, but, you know, you can still read it for free. If you like Wizards or Warplanes, go check it out. Now, back to our program. And we're back from the break. Uh, we're ready for round two. Uh, this is the uh, second attempt at this interview. Uh, and then uh, also still down a man. Unfortunately, Cam is MIA due to some uh, Apple computer problems. Uh, shit happens, I guess. Uh, so you're stuck with me. And uh, But we do have a great guest, uh, even though I've already talked to him uh, for a second time now. <laughs> so, uh, Erwin, I hope you're not annoyed that we're going to have to basically, uh, repeat a lot of the points that we probably made or talked about, but, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, yeah. So we have LA County based illustrator, cartoonist, comic artist, all around cool dude, uh, Erwin Papa. Erwin, how you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Sorry, yes. that, uh, Cam couldn't make it. Yeah, it happens. It's usually, I, I feel like there's probably more episodes in our feed that are Cam and a guest rather than just me and a guest. So, uh, you know, it's only fair, I feel like. You're balancing it out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes. Uh, so, I guess let's uh, get into... Uh, the uh, starting point that we were at when we first tried this, and that's uh, how did you get into comics, art in general, uh, your sort of career trajectory of where you're at now? How did that all begin? Uh, I was always drawing as a kid. I think a lot of us were always drawing as a kid, and we just never stopped. Um, uh, yeah, it just uh, that's how I started. And then with the comic books, it was starting with Marvel and the DC, you know, the the big two, I think my first comic was like a Spider-Man, Sal Buscema, and some Punisher holiday special. <laughs> yeah. The perfect cool character stuff. for a holiday yeah. special, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, that looks cool. He's got to fight Santa Claus. So I had to get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, it's, so it was that. Um, I think I was just 
Uh, I, when the nineties came out, I was like around ten, so the image stuff was popping in. So I, I latched onto that as well. But then I think also that's like when I really knew who I liked and who I didn't like. Like Simon Bisley, Sam Keith, Jeff Darrow, Mobius. Like those are the ones that I latched onto. Uh, who were Zeta. who were some of the guys you didn't like? Some of the guys I didn't like. Uh, the Rob Liefeld stuff. Sure, they okay. always tricked me as a kid. They always tricked me because, like, I was like, "Oh, that's fucking cool." And I opened it up, like, "Oh, I, I figured it out." It's like it's not, it's not Jim Lee. It's like supposed to be Jim Lee, and it's not right. Jim Lee. Then yeah, growing yeah. up and like learning that all his influences and stuff, like he was like taking stuff from Fist of the North Star, Small Head, Long Legs. I he's doing it. Yeah, it's just the yeah, way yeah. he uh, the way he approaches it isn't the same way uh you see in the manga although i did read the the last uh well the last fist of the north star they did do he did do uh small head long legs and the exaggeration was too wild even for <laughs> the manga source yeah but yeah interesting um, okay there's like i don't know who else did i not like let's just run down a list of going back on the live veld i always felt that he was sort of like a shorthand for like guys like jim lee like you said uh yeah. just like the cool big artists of the 90s even though a lot of people attach liefeld specifically to that era you know like he still makes work and his work pretty much has not grown since then <laughs> which no. is uh, amazing i mean it, it works to his benefit i guess if you're like really into that but you know i guess but it it it, it feels like he's regressing with yeah, the latest yeah. stuff i'm like well how'd you do that because you look at the early stuff with that cable cover uh where he's like cable cover and all the inside stuff like you can kind of see like oh he's trying to do these things but then yeah. like when you look at it now it's like oh he's like he's regressing like evolved into something <laughs> like it's a parody of himself yeah like, which i think he leans into he must because he's he done must. a bunch he's of drawings that are clearly self-referential I think he made a character or posted a character that was just all pouches. Yeah, he did that. You know, so I think he is very much aware of his uh, aesthetics, you know. <laughs> I guess. And and there's an audience for that, you know. Like people, people eat that shit up, you know, very much. Uh, there's like a very large portion of comic readers, specifically with the big two, that are all about like that nostalgia of 90s extreme comics and uh, he's still cashing in on that which you know kudos to him i guess <laughs> i guess yeah i guess if it works for him yeah I, guess. I mean but but i agree no it's it's definitely regressed and i i don't take it seriously so and i don't think he does either really so no. it's fun to see though when it pops sure. up like hey look at that it's brand new <laughs> Oh, the the other person, um, I was talking to some friends last night, uh, they brought up Joe Jusco, and he's another one that I love his work, but then you can see the misproportioned anatomy in it. It's almost giving it a charm, but yeah. it's almost too ridiculous that you just can't help but notice those things. Right, right, right. I think there's a couple of artists like that for sure. They have the shortcomings on like a technical level. Yeah, but uh, some guys are really good at either hiding it or using that to their advantage. Like I think of guys like Ken Landgraf, and he's yeah. his stuff is not super clean and technical or anything like that. Like it's no Mazzucchelli, but the stuff that he 
does pump out, I feel like plays to his strengths as this guy who's on the on the outside of like what is accepted as like pro comic art. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can I can kind of appreciate that. And he's also, you know, worked on a bunch of really awesome books. Yeah, yeah, totally. He, He his stuff feels genuine. Like yes. you could you could read the genuine in his stuff rather than Rob Liefeld where he's forcing it because he knows people like that stuff. So he's just gonna stay in that thing and not evolve. Although 100%. I mean maybe yeah. Ken Langraff hasn't evolved, but he's staying genuine to what he wants to do. Right. And I, I feel like when I look at a piece by him, you can tell that like he put all he could into it and he enjoyed it the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally I agree. At what point did you decide to really go all in with art as a career? I went back. Uh, I I quit college, uh, like in the two thousands, and then I decided to go back. And I was gonna go back and and major in in nursing. I'm Filipino. My my mom was was a nurse, and uh, she did well with it. And I was getting older. I was like, you know, I just if I can like set aside time and work the regular uh, hours as as a nurse, and then I can take the rest of the time when I get off and uh, still draw. Yeah. But as I went through the the courses, I got into the program, and I just was not feeling it. And even the instructors at school were saying like, if you don't love this, then it's not for you. And that like it stayed in my head like fuck like, but I. But I made it in. Yeah. So like it's it's you know like I, it's kind of worth something, right? But I just was not into it. Also, uh, when I was waiting, I had a semester uh, break before I got into the into the program. I was taking a bunch of art classes, and that's when I fell in love with art again. It was mm. kind of like this time where a lot of coincidences were, were happening. That's when I got like my first industry gig, like really simple stuff from uh from facebook during that time when i was in those classes and even still like in those classes i was taking beginning sculpting life drawing and all the basic stuff but like the teachers they were really great like where they made me understand abstract art you know they made me have they helped me understand composition and all the the principles and elements of art yeah that's when i just left I, i didn't i didn't stay in the program and I just went back to the art building and uh, continued to try to understand all of that. And then applied all of that to um, comics. Reading the comic in with with the artist with that stuff in mind. And then um, applying that when I was doing it. When I would draw that stuff. Okay. And I, I guess like how long did it take for you to kind of get to the point where you were... I guess, uh, confident enough in that decision. Was there a period at all like that? A little. I mean, I'm still like, it's still surreal to me when I, when I get jobs to like, even as I'm working through it. And then even at like the, at the end where there's this figure or just a comic and it's physical, it still doesn't feel like, Oh, I, that I actually did it. Yeah. The, I don't Was there a real turning point? I think the real, the opening thing was when I got that first gig, uh, through that one sculptor guy that, wanted model turn and uh, like a statue design like holy shit like this guy is reaching out to me okay "Okay, so maybe something can happen but at the same time i I was still not that confident where i was okay to like oh i'm gonna build a portfolio and like show all my stuff because this one guy liked it i was like still in the bat you know still like i don't know i still didn't feel like i like i like i was ready Mm, okay yeah i was just like waiting for people to like hit me up (laughs) 
Well, so like, how did they find you? How did you like, were you putting yourself out there or yeah, was, I was supposed, it? I was posting on Facebook and Instagram and I think uh, okay, okay, Instagram was the one that really took off. Gotcha. Okay. So this would have been uh, what, like early like, 2010s? Yeah. I th- okay. uh, I joined Instagram in 2012. And, uh, right. Okay. Yeah, so it's during that time, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, like, I, I wasn't following you back in 2012 because I also had just started an account then and wasn't mm-hmm. even actively posting art or anything like that. But uh, how long did it take for you to really gain some traction with building up a clientele and like a fan base it had it, probably two to three years okay i think the first client from instagram was jesse with toy pizza okay like okay. he hit me up i was like holy shit because i was already watching his stuff on on youtube i don't know if i was commenting on his stuff and then he he checked out my work or if i was yeah, tagging yeah. him and stuff i don't i don't remember that part but i was okay it, yeah he was he found me through that and then that's like and then he, that's like the second part of uh making it a career because he just kept hit, hitting me up for for stuff Awesome. And so that's how you got on board for the Knights of the Slice comic. Yeah, the Knights of the Slice comic did two issues for them. He's the first, that was the first comic that I finished from beginning to end. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Before that, I was just like trying to start something and then I would just not build enough patience. This time, uh, since uh, I was being paid to do something, I need I needed to condition myself to build that patience and get through something within that time schedule. So then now you're like trying to work your best pages, but you only have a time limit. So you can only do the best you can within that time limit. Right, right. What was that process like? I mean, you obviously you said that you were kind of doing comics here and there, but to do like a full on issue like that, was there like a a pretty high hurdle that you had to get over in order to? Yeah. Okay. I had to figure out everything. Okay. The paper size, the, Mm. you know, the sheet size. So I I measured it out uh, or I, you know, I looked it up online like, oh, it's this big. So then I had to use math or to calculate it because I was only drawing it on eight and a half by 11. It's like, okay, if I'm only getting given this time, if I draw this small, then I can go to the next page rather than doing 11 by 17. Yeah. Right. And then shrinking that down. And if I have to shrink it down, I don't have, I don't have that printer. I would have to go outside, which I've done that uh, later on. And uh, I still need to get a printer uh, scanner. But yeah, it's just like figuring that out, figuring out uh, the gutter uh, space. The, mm. it's, it's a quarter there, but then if I blew it up, I don't know, if I shrank it to whatever size, oh, the eight and a half by 11, like, is it still a quarter? I didn't care. I just kept it at a quarter. But right, yeah, figuring, okay. the, you know, all the, like, the stuff that you don't realize you have to think about when you're starting out a page. It's all the gutter stuff, the layout. Uh, that's right. when I was like trying to figure out like I would be so indecisive of like putting down the size for panels like do I make it th- uh, three inches or should it should this scene be three and a half inches I was thinking stuff like that yeah I would yeah. always get too technical and just like if there's a nine panel grid stick to that. Because yeah. that'll dictate everything else. If I want two panels on on the the first row, then it's either use whatever measurements based on on the three on the nine panel grid. If that makes sense, right? No, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Now I think it's not uncommon at all to get lost in the minutia of stuff like that. You know, it's very easy to overthink things, uh, even even at that stage uh, of making a comic. I feel like. 
Yeah, I, I'll look at stuff. You got Kirby, Toth, right. and uh, see how they approach a page. But then you look at other people, and they're not doing that. Right. And like, so now I'm trying to decide, like, which way do I want to go? Like, and then based on the script, like, does a scene call for this thing? Can I approach it this way? But then, like, you only know that you only have this much time to finish the page. That's where I get all, where I confuse myself and then I get undecisive and then I have to, like, uh, rush through a page. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but when you start rushing, right? Like, let's say there's a time crunch, you got a deadline quickly mm -hmm. approaching. Do you feel like that? external pressure forces you to make decisive decisions and therefore it's like it works in your favor or no i don't th it it works in my favor that the page is done or that i've decided <laughs> to like hey this is the this is the panel i'm going with i, I mean right. we all do or I'll, I'll do the layouts i'll do several layouts to, for for one page and uh see which ones work i'll pick the ones that work like, maybe there's three that work three page layouts that work for that one page and i'll do another run through where it's a little bit more the thumbnail is a little bit more rigid mm-hmm where uh, things are placed and everything and the, the sizing is uh, according to whatever it needs to be. Yeah. And then, uh, but then when it's crunch time, I'll just pick the one. I'll just, let's just go for this one and just see it through. Yeah. And if it does, if it's fucked up, if that, if I fucked up that page, then I fuck up that page. We got to go on to the next one. And that's right. like part of the learning experience, right? Where I have to just let it go. Yes. Yeah. And just keep moving. If it's yes. if I fuck it up there, like I know I know now not to fuck it up that way. It's interesting you bring that up because I feel I feel like that way too, like going from page to page mm -hmm. and really forcing yourself to not go over every single inch of the page and be like overly critical and uh just getting lost, like I said, in that minutiae. And instead, just doing it, moving on to the next thing and doing it and, you know, also pulling back and looking at it in the context of like a completed comic. Like you, if your comic functionally doesn't work the way you would hoped, then you take those mistakes that you made or what you learned from those mistakes and then you apply them to the next comic. Yeah, you definitely have to do that. Man, I, I, when I was a kid, I would be so analytical and technical of all that stuff when when i would see comic books using the cross hatching technique sure yeah yeah <laughs> if there was a how do you explain this if there was a break in the lines that that stopped at one end and then there's this other blank space and then that cross hatching line continued on mm -hmm. when i drew that i made sure that the line on the left hand side matched the spacing or the uh, the level of the right hand side. Wow, I would like stay with that. I was always like trying to make sure I kept to that. And then when I inked it with the sharpie, because I didn't know about microns back then, right, right, I would fuck it up because the the sharpie was too thick. Yeah, but then I I would have to like keep looking at comics and keep studying it, or like noticing that people don't do that. It was just me thinking that people do that. Right, right. So like letting that part go. Yeah, because like from that artist's perspective, they're just drawing the line. That's yeah. it. There's no real yeah. <laughs> deep thought beyond that. They're just doing no. rapid succession, line after line after line. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I did the same thing as a kid, too. Like I would pour <laughs> over like comic pages. And I don't know if you remember that like spiral bound uh, book for kids where it's like how to draw the Marvel way. 
And, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, they would show you Ramita drawings and, you know, these other artists that were <laughs> part of the, the history of Marvel Comics. And they have you, you know, basically trace drawings and then do these, you know, exercises using stick figures and what have you. Yeah, I remember seeing how they would render stuff and be like, well... If that's how they do it, then that means that's how I have to do it. And every line has to match what I'm seeing from them. But then, you know, as you get older, obviously, that's not, that's not the case. That's just not how no, it works. it's not. <laughs> no, especially if you want to keep it organic. Right, right. And, you know, I feel like your stuff is really interesting in that I think younger me, if I saw your work, would have been agonizing over trying to like reproduce what you do because like you know while your stuff is like very hyper technical and well rendered and you know proportions are great you understand anatomy really well and you know how you render uh, figures on a, on a 2d space i would lose my mind trying to replicate those thinking that exact same thing right of thinking oh well he's doing this very consciously here and here and here and i have to follow that line here here and here but uh, yeah, that's just not the case. But your stuff is like, you know, it's really, really good. I, I know we've talked about this before, you know, in passing and also whenever I talk to you. But I think when we first started talking about this in our initial interview, uh, we had brought up Toth as being yeah. sort of a point of reference for me, at least when I look at your work with, you know, some elements of Mobius in terms of like, you're able to like hyper render certain parts and you pick your spots rather than just dousing the page in information. Right. Yeah. And that's something that I did learn from Toth. Toth and, and Darrow too. Or more, more so Mobius because Mobius, yes. Mobius, he puts so much detail in certain sections, but then the sky is open, this big open shape. Right, right. You or don't have to draw a cloud there or whatever. Or it'll be like a sculpture or a building and there's like two inches of just a ton yeah. of detail and then nothing around that. Yeah. Like that's okay. That yeah. makes a balance, and that brings him back to the uh, the the principles, you know. Right, right, the right. The fundamentals yeah. of the fundamentals, of drawing, yeah, yeah exactly. for sure, for sure. So you you've refined that obviously because you draw every day. You're and you're streaming that stuff every day. Uh, I, no, I stream. I stream twice. Twice a week. Two, two, yeah, twice a week. Okay, well, that's still a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But you, you do make it a point to pretty much draw every day for the most part. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah I'll try to. Even yeah, if yeah. it's just a small thing, right? Damn. <laughs> but you, I mean, you do post a lot, so that makes sense. Yeah, I think maybe that's why it looks like I post every day because I'm post. That's why I, maybe that's why it looks like I'm drawing every day because I post every day. Yeah, yeah. You, you, I think you, I'll <laughs> like make a bunch of, I'll, I'll do a bunch of drawings on certain days and then space it out with, with the posting yeah and save it for later yeah save it for later i think that's that's the way to do it yeah but then that's like you know that's like extra like i hate that we have to do that or at least i think that i have to do that yeah show. especially with instagram it it, mm. it is really annoying in that uh at first you're doing this thing where you're posting on your account fairly regularly because that's the rate at which you want to do it but then the moment it lets up, suddenly you have like this weird sense of guilt that you're not actively <laughs> producing quote unquote content for Zuckerberg, basically, for free. <laughs> yeah. Like you are basically doing work for a giant fucking billion dollar corporation so that they can monetize your labor for ad revenue. And 
it, it is something that I eventually I just gave up. I just I stopped making it a, a thing where I no longer really worry about how often I post. And you can even go back on my feed and see uh, the rate at which I was posting in like, I don't know, like 2018, 2017 huh. compared to now. And it's like a quarter of how much I was posting. Wow, how'd you let go of that? How did I let go of that? Uh, I realized it was just like a meaningless rat race for me to do that. You need you need the validation from your uh, followers to let you to let them know like hey, I can still draw. Today. Yeah, I think I think um, I think it was a combination of like realizing that art like this is such a small portion of people that do this for a living actually make a ton of money, <laughs> mm-hmm. and for the most part, the majority of artists artists who I you know, respect and who I think are amazing and super skilled and have a lot to say. And they're making pennies on the dollar and they're overworking themselves in many cases because of this like perceived need to constantly post and constantly pump out content. And I think it's gotten worse now because of Instagram uh, or rather meta and their refocusing of Instagram's kind of intention as an app to make it more video content. You know, you need these like quick and easy consumable little clips for people to scroll through. And I just started seeing it as being a chore. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't being paid to do that. You know what I mean? So I, I just kind of phased it out eventually in terms of my overall attitude about it, at least. Damn, I'm so envious of that. It, it has become a chore. It has. But, I'm, dude, I totally envy that. Well, you know, I think it's easier for me because, like, you have such a large following. So, I feel like it's much harder to divorce yourself from that or at least take some kind of break from it. Whereas, like, my stakes are much lower in that regard. I think because I could say that of someone else who has uh, more followers than, than me. Right? Couldn't I say that? Yeah, you could. Too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do you know? do you know any artists who have a larger following than you who don't make it a point to post every day or every other day I or once a week? I think so. Okay. I would say yes, right? But because, see, I don't know, it's weird because like, they're that big that they don't have to. Right, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's another art, another side to it. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's all, it's really just in, inside uh, the individual's head if they sure. make that the point of what they do what they do well i i think it also comes down to these social media platforms being used as a means to uh sell yourself to potential clients right like uh like you said that's how you were getting work early on was through those social media platforms and selling yourself that way yeah that's that's true too that's true too it's like always like throwing your uh the fishing line yeah and see if anyone bites. And you know what? Even still, like, I'll do it every day, and my likes do not reflect how many followers I have. Oh, of course and not. It never does. Not for anyone. Yeah. I mean, there's very few, right? Yeah, but those few uh, mostly aren't people that do what we do. Right, yeah. The the algorithm is very strange. I, I don't really yeah. understand it. And I do know that they do make it a point to artificially boost certain things over other things. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. yeah, it is annoying. And, and that, I, I think that also is kind of why I just saw it as an uphill battle with the end, I guess, uh, prize being like what I get like 
a couple more followers and a couple more likes. Like I don't really, that doesn't mean anything yeah. to me in any sort of like material way. <laughs> so why should I be too concerned about that? I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, I still think that way. I need to let go of that really. I mean, I'll, cause I'll, I, I'd like schedule, you know, schedule all that out. Well, you know, I think it's a case by case thing where it's like, if you genuinely are not getting enjoyment from the thing that you're doing mm -hmm. and it, it is becoming more of this task, this burden that you have to fucking carry, uh, then yeah, I would say take a break or just like take a step back. But if you are enjoying it, if it's something that you do enjoy and like, and you know, then continue, please, by all means, continue. Yeah, I'll have to think about that. This is my intervention. We're doing my intervention right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that is kind of why you do have such a large following is because you do consistently show your work <laughs> and people are interested as a result. And so, you know, people come to your account and they want to see what you're producing, you know, at any given week. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I've been posting every day, almost every day since since uh, 2012. And I've noticed like other – I've noticed other people like like – they should be blowing up. How come they're not blowing up right now? It's because they're not posting. You know what? Yeah. They don't need to. They don't feel the need to. And they're okay with, with what they have. They're working on other stuff. They're not bothered right. by uh, Instagram and all the uh, the followership. They're just doing other stuff. That's what I need to do. I need to just get out of that and just work on my work on my own stuff. And then when it when it is ready to be posted, then it's ready to be posted. Right. Because I can wait on stuff, too. Like, if there's a, sure. an event that I can't announce yet, yeah, I can do that. I can wait. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of your stuff, I do want to touch on your sculpture work. But mm. before we do that, mm. uh, real quick, uh, to wrap up sort of the comic end, uh, you had two comics that you had done uh, – I believe uh, the collaborative one that's like sort of an anthology. That's the most recent. Yeah, the uh, that was through uh, Kickstarter, the Endangered African Horn Man and Juggy, which was our uh, Rhino and Juggernaut parody. Right. So, like, how would you describe the book to someone uh, uh, who's not familiar? Because I compare it to like a fanzine almost, but as a is. proper book. Yeah, yeah, it's just a fanzine that's that had uh, a budget to to be produced into a book it's a bunch of four story mostly four story uh uh comics uh revol revolving around uh rhino and juggernaut and the artist the creator could just take it wherever they wanted to go really independent i mean some of the stories are stuff that marvel would never do sure and it's like our chance to uh take those characters that we've enjoyed reading and and do our own spin on it and and how did this project come about i know it's uh attached to you uh, the ink and drink in long beach which is uh like a drink and draw type of situation that you guys have right yeah we have uh ink and drink long beach is a, a monthly drink and draw event in in the city and um during the pandemic, we obviously couldn't do the in-person event, so we brought it over online, and we started a weekly uh, hangout where we would just draw on a, on a community online drawing board. That would be the digital or the uh, internet equivalent to hanging out in person. And then uh, someone 
younger than us uh, started a Discord for us and uh, showed us how to use Discord. And from there, we just started doing projects, one of the projects being Rhino and Juggernaut. And uh, a lot of people were just excited about doing it. Uh, someone suggested putting it up to be a crowdfunder and we just went with it. it was like oh it was most of those people's first crowdfunding campaign oh okay cool yeah so that was like the exciting part and just to see it through like it was a, it was another test and challenge to see if if we could do something like that and and we did so we're excited to do uh, other ones other projects as well and who was sort of coordinating and editing everything and putting it together was it also a collaborative situation or was it uh let you know left as a task to a specific individual yeah i was taking care i was organizing most of it okay um, there was other people that would take care of the video stuff okay um, yeah but the page was yeah mostly me gotcha so you were responsible of uh for uh laying out the book too then yeah and that was like the first time i've ever i've ever done something like that too just like trying to figure out like who goes first you know when the when the reader opens up the page like what are they greeted to and then that would let them know what the rest of the book uh would be like mm, okay yeah yeah so it was fun like organizing that stuff too and then the book before this uh was a comic called the angriest warrior which is mm -hmm. a character you had created yeah and you were posting these sort of like short strips occasionally on social media Right, yeah, I was. Uh, that came from there was an event in uh, at a comic book shop in L.A. Meltdown Comics. They had they used to do a. Uh, they're no longer uh, there, but um, they used to do this uh, zine monthly zine event mm -hmm. where you would draw a page, put up some money, and then uh, next month you would get you would get a zine of everyone's drawings from the previous month. They would just keep going that way. Someone brought a stack of old comics, and I grabbed Savage Sword of Conan, number one. It's mm -hmm. like, that was cool. It has uh, Jambushima artwork with uh, Alfredo Alcala inks and a Barry Windsor Smith uh, story as well. Let me just check it out. And then I, I went back. Uh, I went to the donut shop. I usually I used to do my work at a donut shop, a 24-hour donut shop. Okay. And I would just like uh, just look at the book. I was like, man, what would I do if I had, if I had Conan, like, if I could write a Conan story, what, what would it be? And you know, just keep it silly, not serious. You know, just keep it light and fun. What if uh, Conan couldn't find his sword and then continue on that way? And then the one-page strips would just be a version, not as a comic book, but just like trying to figure out how to do a comic, but have it also replicated as a Sunday strip, just one-page strip. Like if I could condense not necessarily a story, but like a story beat, yes. like what would it be? You know, like what Calvin and Hobbes, like what would they do on that day? Like sometimes there's like no dialogue in Calvin and Hobbes. You're just watching them do stuff, right? Yeah. It's like slice yeah. of life almost. And then they go, you know, you read the next one that has dialogue. Right. But yeah, I was just trying to figure out like how to, how to do that, uh, like the most quickest way to figure out something for that one page. It was building, I was, I don't know if it was building patience, but it was giving, oh well, yeah, I guess it was, it was building patience to give myself time to figure that out. Right. And then for the intention of actually doing a, mul a multi-paged uh, story. But then I stopped doing that 
because I was doing other stuff. And then my friend, uh, Work Walker, who I met through a mutual friend, wanted to write a ongoing series with The Angriest Warrior and uh, decided to do a one-shot to open it up, which is the, the book that we have now. Okay. So th- this guy had written a script, mm-hmm. presented it to you, and then you started doing layouts, figuring out how to tell the story. Right. The script was all had had dialogue. I don't know why I wanted to do this, but I wanted to keep the comic with no dialogue or, or uh, not a, a lot of dialogue. So mm-hmm. I had to uh, reinterpret those dialogue pages, those dialogue scenes as a uh, scene with no with no dialogue, which was another challenge. Maybe that's why I did it, just to see if I could like tell a story with no dialogue and have it uh, uh, carry on page by page. So figuring that out, Warwick was also open to interpretation or um, or combining pages. He was okay with that too. So there's one scene, or there's two pages where I combined it into one. Okay. So just consolidating information basically exactly yeah with okay. yeah but then keeping it with with no dial no dialogue yeah. right right and I, you know when we first talked about this i had mentioned yeah obviously i had no clue that that had taken place mm. i just assumed what i was seeing was what was written or provided by the writer so reading it i was like oh wow this writer really understands that you don't need to cover every page with word balloons to convey information to the reader in a clear and concise way but you know you explaining that it was actually you who translated all that information and presented it that way yeah i think that just shows the strength of your abilities as an artist and a storyteller to be able to present all that information the way you do i mean it functionally it's fantastic right like in my opinion this stuff reads extremely well Thank you. Like the story beats are great. Uh, the way that you're able to communicate ideas across in just a couple of panels with no dialogue or words. It's, it, it goes back to, you know, this sort of classical approach to comic strips. Yeah, I think so. I also, I mean, I have to give credit also to, to Warwick because he, I based the, the, the pages according to Warwick's because uh, he would break it down panel by panel. Like, this yeah. is happening here, this is happening here, this is happening okay. here. So he is creating okay. the, the story beat. But also, I asked Warwick to do the layouts himself. You know, he can just use stick figures okay. and do it that way, too. Because I wanted to see how how he saw, how he visualized the comic. So I took his layouts and I fleshed them out. So then um, it was a... Even the visual is a combination between me and and Warwick. Warwick would do the the skeleton. I'd, I'd put everything else on on top of it. So Some yeah, stuff. truly collaborative project. Yeah, and that's you know like I was thinking of them, and, and I'm not comparing myself to them, but I was also thinking of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. How it would be a com. It sometimes it was sometimes it would be a combination. Most of it is Jack Kirby. But yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Though. But there's yeah. like some Stanley that that like who because we were never there. Like when they were talking about Silver Surfer, like is that all right? You know what did what did Stan put in? But they even still, be, you know, I, I you you know it too. Like if you're working off of someone else's script, you're fleshing all of that out based yeah. on whatever scene is. But they're, they're not telling you uh, most most of the time. They're not telling you to like draw this in the background or or hide this in there. 
in the background, if you're like putting in whatever you're putting in, they're not telling right. you how many windows are in the in that scene. You're making that uh, part up, but then those windows are the uh, uh, way to are the lines to guide you through through the page or through the panel, right? The yes. Writer's, the, the writer's not telling you to do that. You're doing that, right? I think that is something that I wish more writers were accustomed to doing is showing the artist exactly what they're trying to communicate by drawing out layouts themselves. Because I feel like there are a lot of writers who don't understand the actual process of making a page. Yeah. And as a result, it's just fundamentally, it's just a movie script that you now have to make sense of into the comic medium, which in and of itself is a difficult process to begin with. But it is something that I wish I saw more writers do. And I have worked also with some writers who do that, and I always appreciate it when they do it. Yeah, totally. Because you can see where, where they're coming from. And then when you figure out a better way to approach it, or you see it, you see their stuff, and sometimes maybe sometimes you, you'd be surprised as to how they would visualize something. But then you get it's it's a back and forth thing too, because you can tell you can show them like, oh, if if a character is moving right to left they're not really moving forward in, in the Western culture, right? You, characters right. move left to right if they're moving forward. Right. So knowing that, you can break the rule. If, they're, if they are moving backward, you move uh, uh, right to left. So when, when you show your revised thumbnails to the writer, they know that part. Now they know how a comic book page works. And then showing them or just accounting for the dialogue space. You can have all this dialogue. And then if there's all this dialogue, then you know that there's only this much space to draw. Right. As visually, does that work for that scene? I get maybe sometimes there's you can do a shitload of dialogue. Mm-hmm. I don't know when that's going to ever work, but you could do that. And there has to be a way to make that work, right? I don't know. Uh, you <laughs> but, know, I would like to think that there's a way, yeah. but I have not <laughs> seen it really executed in contemporary comics well. So Only for comedic value, I think that would only work. Right. And even then, I feel like, you know, going back to Angriest Warrior, I feel like sometimes those points of comedic effect can be communicated even better with less or no dialogue sometimes, but. Yeah, exactly. And I wasn't like when I took the dialogue away from those scenes, I wasn't trying to disregard what Warwick wrote because I drew what Warwick wrote. It's just, they're just not talking. But at the same time, to respect the dialogue, I did reuse them in, Mm -hmm. in later scenes. Where I put it back, but just re- oh, recontextualize the dialogue. Okay, yeah, where it yeah. still made sense. Like, oh, okay, uh, I, there's that dialogue. There's a dialogue part where um, where Angus Warrior after the double splash. There's just like mm-hmm. eight panels of him of just violence. Yeah, the the dialogue. There's a dialogue <laughs> at the bottom. The last two panels where he says just one more left, uh, 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 referencing just one more guy that he needs to beat up. Yeah. That bit of dialogue was for the. Um, was originally for the scene where Dangerous Warrior is putting up those flyers on the wall. No. And he's saying, oh, just one more left. But then the uh, the water splashes on, on him because of the, the horse and carriage hit him. And so I was like, oh, I can, I can still use that. And I, I originally also, the double splash page is where the story originally ended. And I was like, you know, let's let's do more, right? Like, don't let <laughs> yeah. the reader, like, f- like trying to make up, like, oh, what is the battle scene? Like, nah, let's just show it to them. Because now they know what the Angry Warrior can do or what these pages would look like if 
if a, if such a scene uh, uh, was uh, portrayed, right? Because you don't want to you don't want to dupe the the reader. You present them with a comic called "The Angriest Warrior," and yeah. You don't actually see the angriest warrior be <laughs> yeah. the angriest warrior. Yeah, exactly. I was like, yeah, we could keep doing that, and if I and if I kept doing that. Then we could put in the dialogue. Also, I think the original, the length was 12 pages. I like, oh, I know. But then that's when I was starting to look into book production. Mm-hmm. Uh, four pages being the the way that the books get produced. Right. You got to do an implement of, uh, of uh, multiples of four. It's like, oh, well, we can push it out to 16 pages. That'll be the extra four pages that we need to, to make a book. And uh, yeah, just everything just uh, fell into place. Nice. Yeah. And I, that's a, I feel like, you know, you explaining that it is a difficult balance to be able to find someone to work with who can work with you on that level to that degree. You know, like I don't understand why any artist who, especially those who actively have been writing their own stuff anyway, Mm. would work with a writer, let alone one who is refusing to actually make it a collaborative process. And instead, they just throw you this wordy script and then walk away and expect you to just (laughs) fucking figure it out, I guess. I don't know. There's, I forgot where I read this, but there's someone that works with a writer and all they all the writer did was give them like story beats no page count i guess guess there's there's a a a usual or the uh standard page count but they'll just give them story beats like have the the angriest warrior break into a castle he steals a weapon uh, has to fight a bunch of guys and then he finds the secret and then the next thing is he comes up to some next challenge and that's all they get. And then the artist has to like figure out pretty much write it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. the in-between stuff. Right. I feel like that is a holdover of the Marvel way yeah. of producing comics. Yeah. Right. Like Stanley would sit at a table with the artist and be like, uh, this beat happens. This thing needs to happen. This character has to be in here. All right. Get to work. And then the other holdover is that the, the writer still gets the writing credit and the artist right. still, still gets the artist yeah, credit. Yeah. Their name is first. <laughs> and then the artist is no. right there at the bottom. They yep. should be right in the same line. Yes. They should be right yeah. in the same line. And then that's the weird part because then the reader doesn't know like who actually did what. And right. who gives a shit, right? Like, I guess you can talk about that in panels and stuff or online. But if it's a good story, then it's a good story. Although, I mean, you would, I, I, I would like to know, like, who, who uh, came up with what. Right. No, I, I do think that there are plenty of writers in comics who get way more credit than they actually deserve. But, you know, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah totally. You know, because uh, I've definitely seen some really wild scripts, you know, like. <laughs> One page would just be half a sentence that says big fight here. And you're just like, what? Like, <laughs> what do you want? At least tell me what's happening at the last panel. So we know yeah. what to do when you turn the page. <laughs> like, that's crazy to me that you type that out and then presented that to someone and was yeah. like, I, my, my job is done. <laughs> you know, just fucking, I don't get that. I really don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't either. I don't, I don't see how that's okay. Right. Oh, that's okay. But then, you know, they'll also like compensate where they'll apologize. Like, yeah, you should be getting all the The writer would say to the artist, like, you should, you do so much work, dude. Like you do so much work, dude. Kudos to you. And then they don't, (laughs) and then they don't change the writing style. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you do it too. You can do it too. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I feel like that's a mentality across the board in comics. 
uh, like I, I see so that much. all the time when like when editors talk about how important letterers are to the industry and how thankful they are for all their hard work. <laughs> and it's just like you you pay them like less yeah. than two dollars per page. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you talking about in terms of <laughs> when you say you are thankful? What do you mean by that? Because going off of what you are presenting them as workers, it doesn't seem like they're that important to you. It's always like that. It's so prevalent. And then, like, I don't know what to do to, to change. Like, I, I want to change it. Like, I don't know how to do to change that. Yeah. I think that's indicative of a much larger problem in comics, for sure. <sighs> so but uh, how you resolve that, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I don't, I don't think it's very practical to present <laughs> that problem as something that can just be resolved internally by these publishers because it's no, across no. the board a cultural issue, I think. Oh, yeah. It's just like these like pre-accepted notions of what's okay and what's acceptable. Right. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to work through it. Or or just do it yourself, right? Or like, just do it yourself, right? Exactly. There are so many people, you know, we've had them on the show and, you know, these people see what's going on in the comics world, in the professional comics world, and they see how these companies function. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I want nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> you know, like, why would I even bother with that when I can just do the thing that I want to do that I enjoy and reap all the benefits of that work? Yeah. Tell your own story or just do right. do, do a bootleg version of whatever character you want to do. Like that one. Right. Uh, there's that Batman book that came out recently. That yes. bootleg Batman yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. We had uh, one of the guys that worked on that, Pat Cack, oh. I believe. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's. You could do that too. I'm still impressed that they got away with that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and knowing DC and, and Warner Brothers, like, damn, kudos for flying under the radar, I guess. So good. That was so good. Yeah, I, I definitely would love to see more of that stuff out there being published. Uh, you know, just like weird knockoff or bootleg comic stories using established IPs, but kind of just allowing you as a creator to have freedom to do whatever the hell you want with them. And nine times out of 10, what you get out is really fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Rather than a book that's a series that makes you, that's marketed where you have to get the next issue to find out what's happening. And then you keep doing that again and again and again. Just keep it it tight. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's endless, right? Like that's the point is that they want you to buy, they want you to buy the next month's issue and the month after that and the month after that and the month after that, right? Yeah. But you know, there's a way to find a balance from that. Like you can still tell these new different stories and still attract new readers to continue picking up whatever it is that you're producing. We see that, especially in the DIY space and small press. Mm -hmm. To a degree, you know, you see that in larger quote unquote independent publishers too. Your uh, mileage may vary uh, in in terms of whether or not you like it or enjoy it, but it's out there, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Now, so going back to sculpture, I remember seeing you post your sculpture work and being amazed that you were doing these like hyper detailed pieces that were very much just three dimensional translations of a lot of your drawings that you were doing at the time. Yeah, I just, I guess I can't help myself but do uh, sculpt what I draw or sculpt how I draw it. It's, they're very connected, even like with the learning experience of doing both, like 
some drawings I'll learn because I approached it a certain way when I was sculpting it. When I'm mm-hmm. sometimes when I'm sculpting something, I'll then use that, or uh, I'll, I'll sculpt some stuff based on how I approached it by drawing it. I always assume that that was one of the key reasons why you are as good as you are, in that you are able to like from a problem solving standpoint you have like figured out form to such a degree that uh your drawings reflect sort of that mindfulness of form the way you do in your sculptural work yeah yeah i i i think that's just inherent although i mean there's a lot of stuff that i cannot figure out and when i come to those points drawing and sculpting i'll just fake it out the reason why the helmet heads look like that is because maybe sometimes i i can't get the head shape right i cover mm. it up with a helmet right or uh the big clothes that some of the characters wear so i don't have to figure out the anatomy but you know what because i, I still get indecisive i still will do that <laughs> for like i don't like the characters that have like big shoulder pads or wearing the big leather jackets and stuff with the patches i'll yeah. I'll, I'll fucking spend 30 minutes or something figuring out what the shoulder is the shoulder and the muscle and the clavicle like the clavicle shit in here and then the uh deltoid shit in here like i know I, what I, you cover mean, it, yeah. I cover it all up like no one's right. gonna see that. i always have to realize that every time i do that there's even moments where i know i'm going to have to realize <laughs> as i'm going through it at that moment yeah i do that to myself every every time That is a trap that a lot of artists fall into, me being one of those, where I will have a figure where you're only going to be seeing like maybe a third or a quarter of the figure and the rest is just covered by something else. But I will still fucking draw the figure, like the human form all the way through. And it's like, why am I doing that? I really do wish my brain worked to a degree where I can just do a silhouette and that's it. Yeah, exactly exactly you know, we're still doing the uh uh follow a uh, follow through of that hatch line yeah That's what we're doing <laughs> yeah. again and right again and yeah again. yeah uh sucker for punishment i guess <laughs> yeah. but you know we see guys like i don't know I, I think probably the best example of that approach is mignola where uh-huh. you just have a guy who so clearly understands form but in such a different way yeah. than my understanding of form is so they can just lay down shapes and boom, you have a very readable figure there in front of you. And it probably took, you know, like a fifth of the amount of effort and time that it would have t- taken me just to figure out where the knee is versus the hip versus, you know, like just stuff that drags you down with with all this like needless information in your brain. Yeah, he's figured out how to approach anatomy with the style he has because his style is is relatively loose but then also tight the knees will be blocky but it'll only look correct if you use these angles of lines and he's not measuring these lines of course of course not right he just knows by hand (laughs) yeah yeah, hand memory right do these bits of lines that's that's my knee or that's my whatever uh body i think another strength of his is that he's able to hide his shortcomings that way too as an artist and making that benefit him in the end right uh people compare i mean people will complain that rob liefeld doesn't draw feet or when he draws feet it's too small mike mignola oh my god character 
tiny tiny feet yeah go or or put it behind rocks it yeah. fuck but it works yeah. Why, it yeah. works so well it's it, it looks intentional and i think he's figured that out because he understands composition so well whereas yeah. liefeld doesn't no you know like so he'll just have feet cut off and like that's just the panel border and that's it whereas nola <laughs> will integrate that shortcoming into the overall composition exactly. to make it make sense Right, yeah, yeah. When you're looking at Bagnola drawing, you're not focusing on the feet. You're focusing on right uh, Hellboy's uh, head, what his hands are doing, and if he's interacting with another character, you're focusing on that. Right. The the feet are almost like the the tail ends, like where like oh this character ends here, so that yeah. the composition <laughs> works, you know, as a whole. Yeah. Right. Right. We will laugh at Rob Liefeld's because, like, hey, it's funny because his feet are like fucked up and there's this open <laughs> space and it's like a rectangle of whatever the yeah. the characters are in front of. Or they'll just be an object that has like <laughs> yeah. really no need to be in the in the panel, but yeah. it'll just be there to block yeah. off the feet. Yeah. So then, yeah, you know, you see the smoke or you see that box or crate yeah. or whatever. It's like yeah, I know why you put that there because I, I would do that too. But yeah, you know, right. you grow out of that. You have to. Figure out or, different ways. Or, or you find a way to work that to your right. benefit, and he hasn't figured that out. No. Or at least hasn't really bothered to figure that out. No. No, exactly. Yeah, he hasn't. I don't think he has. You know, like the, you know, one sort of inside joke with a lot of cartoonists and comic people with Minola is like all of his compositions, especially his covers, it's just a triangle, right? Like it's yeah. heavy bottom mm-hmm. and then leads up to the top at a point, and that's it. Every one of them. Especially his covers. Every one of his covers is just that. He can get away with it because he he makes it work yeah. every time. Yeah. I just It's so frustrating to see. <laughs> it is. It is. Another frustrating thing, too, is uh, he'll just pop in those black panels to oh, create Jesus, the mood yeah. or to create like a time space element to the story. Yeah. 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 Like, God, like, you just have the, the gall to do that. Like, that's okay <laughs> the- to do that. <laughs> the confidence to be able to pull that off yeah i want to do that, that all the time <laughs> or if he is going to draw and it's like you know you look at a page and it has like 14 panels and you would think <laughs> you know if, if you were doing 14 panels it's going to be fucking insane <laughs> Fuck, yeah but when mignola does it like, like 12 of those 16 panels will just be an object yeah. and not even a fully rendered object just like <laughs> And those are the like ones a, I stare at. Oh, yeah. If, yeah. It's just like the rim of the candle holder. Right. And right. everything else is in shadow. I'll stare yes. at that stuff like, okay, yeah, I, you understand like why he puts it there. It's like, oh, okay, he's setting the, the, the mood or he's setting the, giving us exposition just in that fucking panel. The, in, the yeah. interior ex- exposition, we get the major one with the establishing shot. But you would just right. stare at the, the desk. Of those random objects with heavy ass shadow on it, and I'll just stare at it like, okay, like, what can I grab for? Like, what can I use from this? I still yeah. don't know because I, I'm like too dumb to even <laughs> figure out a way to implement something like that. Well, you know, you say that, but I have seen you implement it, right? Like, I've seen you do these like solid silhouettes, and they work in your favor because you know when for when those moments need to happen i appreciate that i i think i know when it is i think i know i there are times where i don't know sure but in my head like oh i th- yeah it should go here because yeah. it'll work here right 
Right, right. You're making educated guesses yeah. at that point. Yeah. But they're educated, though, because you, oh, you know, you've done the work. <laughs> you know, like you've <laughs> trial and error. Staring you've been at, there. Staring at Mignola's books. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So I guess we can move on to questions because okay. we do have you some did? listener questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, first question is on Instagram. We have uh, Jay Gart World on Instagram. Oh, yeah. I know that guy. That's Jesse. Giggle bubble. <laughs> Uh, they ask, what do you want to convey most in your storytelling? What themes interest you the most as a reader? Uh, what the- what themes? I I just like fun stories. English word, just keep it fun. But for uh, Warwick and I are working on a book called Vile. It's a multi-issue thing. The first issue is uh, it's going to be 64 pages. So there's a lot. I guess it's something that comics shouldn't do and uh, just... Uh, show as much as you can but you know what fuck it we just we both of us want to show as much as we can so he has in his story or in that uh, first page script there's splash pages that that are in are, that are consistent in a row like a single splash double splash and another double splash because it's 64 pages we can show as much as we want i think if it's just a good visual story that's what i am trying to get after also i mean warwick is respectful enough too that he knows that i like drawing the cyberpunk stuff so he wrote the story at uh, in a cyber cyberpunk world it isn't necessarily a cyberpunk story but it is set in that world yeah i'm just trying to show i don't know maybe i'm just like trying to show off how much <laughs> i can get away with on each page that's what that's what i'm getting after but no he was asking for a theme though yeah it's just fun i just want to keep it fun it doesn't have to be alive, but just keep it fun. Yeah, I think that's something that is lost with some people when they're approaching making a comic or telling a story, is that they forget that comics can and often should be fun to read and not this sloth through the, the you know, like you have to really struggle just to go from beginning to end. Yeah, exactly. And just and then let the reader want more or even like the reader can then make up their own stories too. With the Angry Warrior, my approach to that is I would like to treat it like the way they've treated James Bond, where he's been portrayed through the decades by different actors, right? And yeah. the character will always J- be James Bond. There's a, Sean, there's a Sean Connery Bond, and there's a Pri- Pierce Brosnan Bond. Uh, are we supposed to think that he, this is a mortal being who's an agent? Nobody thinks that. Everybody just knows that there's a Sean Connery movie Bond, and then there's a Pierce Brosnan Bond. Angry right. Warrior can be that too, with writers. Like, Warwick can do the Angry Warrior the way he sees it, and I'll do it the way I see it. I don't know any differences yet, but, like, JB, like, what's JB's version of the Angry Warrior? Like, how would you approach that? Like, I'm curious to see what that would look like. I would be open to that. Like, I wouldn't be strict, like, oh, he can't do, he, he can only do these things, and he can only say these things, JB. Now, figure out the rest. I, I would not give you any restrictions. He only has two words in his vocabulary, ass and cunt. And you can <laughs> only say those two words. Yeah. I'm going to write that that's down right it. now. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's the next <laughs> issue. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's also been a resurgence in barbarian comics. There has. Oh, one, one big uh, influence was, or... or yeah, one big influence was the uh, was Andrew McLean's Headlopper. Yeah, I read that. I was yeah. like, "Fuck!" Like th- it, that's another fun comic, right? It's like it just 
it just stays within itself and then it just keeps it just keeps on and i don't know i i enjoyed that one yeah and you know there's also a lot of stories that play on the the storytelling tropes of barbarian comics you know you have like this singular individual who's fighting this ongoing battle across different lands i've seen that done a hundred times and all of them are different right like oh yeah different approaches to fundamentally the same story right exactly and i think that's that was the challenge to figure out how to make that dangerous warrior different from everything else if he doesn't have a sword then he has to go look for it like oh that that's the basis for for all of his stories if you want it to be yeah like he just never finds the sword and i was like still debating like oh what's the what would be the outcome like does he find the sword and then feel content does he find the sword and realize like hey through all the stuff that i went through i didn't need this in the first place right yeah there's different ways you can approach that yeah, yeah. yeah. and that makes it it keeps it interesting for you right yeah, and exactly. as a result the reader yeah uh, yeah i hope so yeah instagram user clusterfucks comics asked uh shout out to clusterfucks shout out i'm, I'm doing a comic for them and Oh, cool. For this year, yeah. Uh, the next issue that's the coming next, out? Uh, yeah, later in the year. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's I don't see. Know what to do. What should I do? <laughs> don't tell him. <laughs> uh, uh, he asked, what makes the perfect drink and draw experience to you? <laughs> the perfect drink and draw experience? I, I just love watching people draw just. Yeah, I just love people watching. Uh, uh, I love watching people draw what what they draw. Uh, the perfect experience is having everyone draw on that yeah. night, and then having all the uh, rolls of paper filled up. That's that's yeah. the best part. I, yes, I know you're not really into that stuff, but um, yeah. I mean, I think what it is is I'm not into the formal drink and draws. Oh. What's the formal if drink that, and draw? If, if that makes any so any sense, you know, one that's like established of. This is a drink and draw. You will come here to drink and draw. And oh. I can't, I can't, I don't know what it is, but I just can't get myself to do that to like, I also can't really, I mean, I guess I can draw when I'm drunk, but I don't, I'm not a big drinker to begin with, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, more so since the pandemic started. Yeah. But that being said, I do love drawing with friends after a show. Back when I did more shows, I would often I do a lot of shows with you know, friends, obviously, like people like Alexis Zirit or mm. Aaron Connolly, these like bigger comic cons. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of my best memories is just sitting or standing at a table uh, outside the bar or in the bar, not even really drinking or doing anything, but just talking and drawing. And you would just have this round table of really awesome artists just doing it for fun. You know, like, yeah, that's what I enjoyed. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, this, I mean, I, I rarely go out. I, I'm not driving now. The My car broke down. So oh, damn. these ink and drinks are my way to go outside of my house. That makes sense. And, and sense. actually hang out with, with friends. Like that's, I don't know if that's winding down, but it is hanging out. Yeah. It, it, it's, for me, it would be winding down in the sense that I'm not working on a project or on a paid project so I can just fuck around yeah. with my friends, but then also feel uh, guilty because I'm not working on those paid projects. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's that's my approach to it. That's what yeah. I would like to see. That you could drink too. Yeah, that makes sense. 
And I, I feel like that applies especially to where you're at because LA County is so expansive. It is. Dude, Long Beach is the only one. Uh, the Ink and Drink Long Beach is the only one that does it here. And that was a response because there, there was one in LA, which we are friends with, with those organizers. And uh, yeah, we just wanted to do one in, in, in Long Beach since they didn't have one. Right. Yeah, you don't want to deal with LA traffic. No, no, you don't. <laughs> it's smog. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Okay, last question. Yeah. From Instagram user Celadon Gorilla. Okay. Uh, they ask, ask him if they're sharing proceeds from the Doom artwork with his family. I don't know what that, what Doom artwork is he referring to? Oh, um, I did a, I did a, a trading card sketch, uh, drawing commission of MF oh, Doom. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, I did, okay. I did, okay. That, that makes the, sense. The, I did the post of the time-lapse. So, uh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Time-lapse gotcha, real. Gotcha. No, I'm not. I'm not sharing the uh, proceeds with the family because... It was a commission. Right. And the commission is I draw whatever you want, whatever the customer wants me to draw. Right. Imagine yeah. having to pay Marvel every time you drew Spider-Man for someone. I know. That'd be ridiculous. Like, yeah, no, like fucking pretty much Artist Alley in general would be gone at every major Comic-Con. Like they just <laughs> wouldn't exist at that point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was waiting for for that question too. Because I know someone's going to do it. Because a lot of people were doing that. Were selling his likeness, his image. Yeah. Uh, they were creating artwork of him and the mask. And they were sure. selling prints of it, the original art. But if it's a commission, then I'm not telling the customer, no, I can't do that. Right. And also, I feel like he's probably... His family's doing okay, right? Like, they got the whole cryptocurrency thing. What oh, do they? they? Like, oh, I didn't know that. I, I thought they did an NFT, like some sort of oh. Doom NFT. Uh, hopefully, they got out before the market crashed. <laughs> I hope so. You know what's crazy is people are still doing that. I have, yeah. I have, at least I have, at least I know one friend, but I, probably I do have friends that are still into that stuff. It's crazy that they're still doing it. Uh, yeah, that is, <laughs> I, I kind of figured it would just ride its wave and then be done. The organizers of Designer Con are still pushing it. Really? They still pushed it to, to this year. Uh, That's they, they created a Discord, and they were pushing that coinciding with with the event, leading up to the event and along with the event. Jesus. Like, wow, this shit's still happening. Yeah. I assume the reason why is just it's a combination of, like, shysters and desperate people. <laughs> Like hundred percent, I think the, the, those are the two demographics that really speak to NFT and crypto. Is you're either a shyster who is very, you know, clearly aware that it is a scam, or you are just desperate for money or to stay relevant. Yeah, it's it's gotta be. I totally agree because I, you, you know, we we've been getting offers for that stuff, and you just just know that it's yeah that it's gonna be a scam, right? Yeah. You know, I, I do know that they did take a hit in terms of uh, profitability and mm. longevity, but um, I, I don't know. Trump is bringing it back. He sold like uh, how much in NFTs? And, and they're, oh, um, oh, yeah. they're amazing. I don't know if you've seen uh, I, I've them. I've seen some of them, yeah. Holy shit. The space one, the superhero. Oh, my one. God. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for the toys. You know, I, I hate when 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 he was president i hated seeing his face and i hated hearing his voice and i hated seeing all the parody and artwork surrounding it because oh, god man the people were posting images of trump like we don't like this person and yet you keep parodying him like 
you don't want to see it. So why should I see it? I don't want to right. see it. So I got yeah, tired every- of it. And then like, bam, like the second punchline, there's NFT collection of brand new images. It's like that. You're still doing it. But then it's from, from that side. It's like, right now they're getting on it too. Which All makes right. sense. I mean, why yeah. wouldn't you? You have like an established <laughs> audience of gullible idiots who are willing to drop cash the Fuck moment you that. demand it. So, I mean, why wouldn't you do that? That's Kudos crazy. to get in the bag, I guess. <laughs> I guess it does. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, there's one friend that uh, mm-hmm. is using the funds to to produce toys. So, he's able to turn so a profit enough to- it works for him okay he is and i think if he just keeps it small it'll it'll be successful right but it's fucking NFT, yeah so how so. how long can he keep that up huh yeah i don't know yeah i also don't understand why nfts would even be involved in any way with toy makers you know what i mean like i think it's like it's the collectability if they can collect is it, it digital, though like i don't I don't is see it bragging it rights like hey I got this and you you don't have it and this could be worth money but, but you, you also have don't have it either <laughs> <Right>? you literally <laughs> yeah. don't have it it doesn't exist <laughs> it's not a real thing but even with that like is that a thing for them to say that I mean to say that hey I oh, I, I bought know, it man. you didn't buy it. you you're not, you're not in the you don't have the budget to buy it but I did me I did it not you yeah i mean i feel like if if that is the impetus for that then uh damn i feel so bad for you (laughs) (laughs) like you must lead a fucking agonizing existence like to keep up on that all that (sighs) stuff too i'm like yeah no fuck it i buy my books because i read it or i don't i just buy my books just to know that i have it am i gonna brag about it no but if someone asks like hey did you get the uh wolverine weapon x uh, deluxe size thing like oh yeah i have and i'll show pictures of it to you and tell you that it's worth getting or whatever well i'm not right. gonna like pull it to but your face I, like oh look i got it but you don't have it but i think that makes more sense at least when it is an actual a physical thing thing right. and not just yeah. some code <laughs> right like <laughs> that i own. a code that can also <laughs> just be gone <laughs> right like you've seen that hundreds of times where people have That's their weird. NFTs either stolen or removed and oh, they're just yeah. gone forever, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, man. Just it it's, it's still to this day I I cannot get my mind to wrap around how that got off the ground. Like how it went beyond just right. a couple yeah. of people being like That's the dumbest thing I've ever said and please never share that with anyone else. I wonder if this has happened to us before. Like a similar situation to NFTs? Yeah, but the, everything else, like, all I can think of is just our physical thing. Like right, Babies, right, or Pokemon right. cards. Pokemon cards. But they're almost, like, with Beanie Babies, it's almost, they almost don't exist anymore. Or even their existence is meaningless. Because no one's buying that now. Right, but you can still go into a store, like you a could. Walgreens, and pick one up if you wanted to. If you wanted to, but no one is. Sure. I mean, there's very little people that are doing it. Not to the degree that they were in the 90s, right? No. Yeah, right. exactly. But then with NFTs, it's like, it totally does not exist. It's a thing to look at. The only way it's physical is if you print it out. Right. But then it's not even an NFT. You're looking at a printout <laughs> no, out of not. an NFT. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, I hate the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's absurd. I mean, it's patently absurd. I, I feel bad for my friends that 
you know, there's like a very small portion of people that I'm <laughs> close with who actually yeah. really went all in on it or at least attempted to try it. And yeah, yeah. I just feel bad. I just feel bad for them because it's like, what are you doing, man? I know exactly. I have a bridge to sell you. <laughs> uh, well, uh, that I think does it with questions. There was one more thing that I wanted to touch on and we've already, we're almost going at an hour 30. Damn. This is like okay. one of the longest ones we've done. Ooh, you got cut out a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I feel like we also didn't even cover a lot of the stuff that we did. We did the first time yeah. You know, I, I'll be honest. I was trying to like, work it in was like i don't know <laughs> I just let you it to give it up yeah. <laughs> yeah uh well then that's an excuse to have you on for a patreon and maybe cam will okay. have a working computer by go. then uh shout out to apple you guys are doing great work oh yeah um, <laughs> let's go uh what was it i was gonna ask um oh so you have the comics that you've worked on but you've also done fill-ins for some comic work right like you've done pencils and or inks just strictly sort of like filling in a slot in that way uh yeah uh the latest one that i did was uh i did layouts for skinner on his uh skin crawl issue two one of the it's kind of like a heavy metal type thing which is a bunch of short stories in a magazine format i did a uh a 14 page layout for him and uh, he's complained online that it was like the most arduous thing that he had to go through. I think it was it was hard for him because he had to stick to someone else's pencils. Uh, okay. Or stick to someone else's layouts that yeah. he re-penciled and then, and then inked on top of that. I see. Okay. But he was like, so he felt restricted to stay with those layouts. I mean, he could have went outside and like not like disregard what I did, but I think he wanted to. To stay true to the uh, to the layouts that I turned in, yeah, I did that. What else did I do? I did. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You did stuff for Dave Baker, right? Like uh... Dave Baker, yeah. He the third, the third Action Hospital. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I inked. Yeah, I, I inked those pages, and you can tell, you could see uh, the inking approach from the first page, where I made it more in the way that I would approach a drawing based on his pencils i showed that <laughs> i remember showing that page to him he's like yeah it doesn't look like me i'm like oh okay i see what dave <laughs> dave wants it to look like dave's work not me appropriating dave's work so okay, right, okay. Uh, now i know like what he wants and and then i approached it that way there's even a few pages of um of the book where the original pencils didn't have a certain character design because he he wasn't settled on a character's design at that time yeah uh, later on he found he did another design uh later after the story was done and I th he made it into a sticker and he said like this is the the character design so i had to pencil or uh, utilize dave baker's style to draw that character on those pages so then now it's like me not just being an inker but like filling in for dave in those sections drawing like not inking dave's work but now drawing like dave Right, doing the pencils and the inks at that point. Yeah, yeah. that was like kind of cool, like to figure out because I wasn't drawing it the way I would draw. I was trying to really understand how Dave draws. But interesting, I, interesting. I had enough experience with those pages to kind of have a sense of like, this is how Dave approaches wrinkles. Right, these are his ticks. How do uh, can I apply that in the same areas that that Dave does? Yeah, and I find that very fascinating. Uh, yeah, being able to get insight in that way and. It is a fun exercise. It's a fun challenge to like figure out. Now I did that stuff as a kid too, like trying to figure out like what Bruce, 
how do I draw like Bruce Tim? How do right. I draw like blah blah blah? Yeah, no, that goes right back to what we first started talking about. Is right. yeah, like just tracing tracing Ramita and mm-hmm. trying to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Nice full circle. That's how you close out a <laughs> podcast, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely have to have you on because we didn't even talk about materials and tools. And that's something I want to really get into. Oh, yeah. So right. we'll have you back on the Patreon uh, whenever you're free and and uh, get into that if you awesome, want. Dude. Nice, nice. Hell yeah. All right. Well, yeah, Erwin, thank you so much for coming on and dealing with all the technical issues we've had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a learning experience for me. And now I know. Yeah. Now seems- I know to press the red the red circle button <laughs> to record yeah, you're just racking up XP, man. I kept, I kept, I kept hitting the black square. <laughs> the stop button. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. JP, now you know. That's why we didn't re- show the the or play the other the original audio because uh, JB kept yelling at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely not because I had half a gig of RAM of, me- of memory. <laughs> <laughs> my computer was just nah. stuttering. I like, I like making up. I just like it's fun making up stories. And... <laughs> a true comic creator telling <laughs> stories that you make. On, on oh, your that's terms. a good spin. God, yeah, you, you're good. <laughs> hey, man, you know I should be a publicist. I'd be making way more money than fucking <laughs> doing design. Do you write and copy? Have you ever like written copy before? Oh yeah. Oh, you yeah, did. Yeah. yeah. No, my most of my working background was writing for the most part. Uh, that's cool. Is it easy easy to get into? Because I kind of, I mean, I'm yeah. not saying that I'm good at doing it, but I would love, I would like to figure that part out. You know, I don't know if I'm quote unquote good at it. I just know I've done it a bunch. You got paid to do it too, repeatedly. See, yeah, usually. Sometimes okay. not so much, especially huh. when I was doing a lot of like journalism stuff and writing about music and culture and stuff. That was mostly unpaid. <laughs> ah, yeah. uh, so, you know, that's how it goes though. But, well, I do a lot of copy for uh, products like my own merch that I sell. Oh, I have to I have right. to write some kind of copy. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, maybe next time I'll ask you about the process. You know, I already know that you're going to come up with it real quick. And I'm the one that just trolls on trying to figure <laughs> out how to write this thing. And sound, I always think I sound like a robot. I don't want to. You don't keep, sound like a robot, to be fair. You sound like a, a well-adjusted human being. No, no, no. When I'm writing. Sometimes oh. I think like it writes like like it. Oh, he's talking like robot in this writing. Because <laughs> I'm Some just giving you the that. facts, like buy my stuff. It yeah, has maybe, this and this and this. You know, maybe you can kind of go back into the medical field by doing copy oh, for yeah. you know, like because all for that robots. shit is just dry. Like, yeah, exactly. You can do that. <laughs> shit. Uh, but yeah, all right. Well, <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, everyone, thanks for listening, and uh, until next time, stay gutter. 